Hello, and thank you for joining LTC DON Chat, a podcast brought to you by the American Association of Post-Acute Care Nursing, APACN. I'm your host, Amy Stewart, Vice President of Education and Certification Strategy for APACN. I am here today with Laura Jeanette, a partner with the law firm Hall, Prangle, and Schoonvelt in Chicago, Illinois. We are here today to talk about common lawsuits nursing homes face and what you can do about them. Welcome, Laura. Thanks, Amy. It's my privilege to be with you and your listeners today. Well, it is our privilege to have you for sure. Let's dive right in, Laura. What are some of the main types of cases that you see in your practice? I would say the two primary cases, case types, are related to wounds and falls, and I don't think that's going to surprise anybody. And then more recently, we've seen a lot more of the infection control cases, not just COVID cases, but other types of infections, and I can talk a little bit about that. So as far as the wound cases, the issues start right at the time of admission with sometimes when the residents come in, there isn't a good description of the wounds that were present on admission. And so then we're left to try to argue that that they didn't uh, begin on arrival, you know, that there was something that was caused after the resident came to us. So even if individuals who are doing the admissions aren't comfortable staging wounds or using all the proper terms, they just need to show where the wounds are located. And then they have to come up with interventions that can be done. So we can have really good care being rendered, but if that care isn't being documented, and primarily I want to see more often documentation of devices on the bed and devices on the chair, because frequently we have pressure reducing surfaces on the bed, but later it becomes a low air loss mattress and we can see when that's happening. So it's just important, whatever that surface is that we're using, that we document that because there isn't really a good place in the record for that to happen. After admission, it's important that the care plan gets entered and that each time there's a new wound or a change, that that gets entered into the care plan as well. And it's important that the staff knows when to get wound care involved and make sure that the wound care team is involved if there's multiple wounds or higher stage wounds. I think I see a little less documentation of good education about wounds. I know that it's happening and I know how helpful it is for the nurses and CNAs to be with the wound care nurse themselves, but there's lots of good education that can take place. And when I'm doing written discovery in the cases and I'm trying to prove that we were holding our in-services and that we had enough in-services about wounds, sometimes it's hard to get good documentation because administrators can change hands, DONs can change hands. So it's important to make sure that there's a safe place for documents that we're going to need to prove that we were rendering appropriate wound care and training our people about how to do admissions. And finally, I think the biggest place in the record that I don't see what I'd like to see to defend 
the wound care cases would be to make sure as we're getting somebody out the door and it can be hectic and you're trying to pull medications and get a note out to, you know, before EMS comes to get the person. But it's really important that somebody do a very brief head to toe assessment of the resident so that if somebody's going out with a stage one wound that's small in size, that then when the resident comes back with a stage three wound, that we know that that progression took place at the hospital. And a lot of times the hospital charting will simply say on day three or day four, when they first detect the wound or note that it's a larger wound that, you know, this developed at the nursing home. So we have to protect ourselves. And I think we do a much better job on admission of noting wounds and describing them. And we do um, not as great a job on discharge of documenting the wounds to protect ourselves from this type of litigation. So after wounds, I would say the next area would be the fall cases. And again, on admission, it's important to get the fall history. Sometimes we don't get a good history from the resident or their family to help us do the fall risk assessment to know how high a risk the individual was for a fall. And then our care plans can start off with appropriate interventions, ideally very specific to the individual. But then where we can fall down a little bit is when a new fall takes place that we don't update interventions very specific to that individual and what happened. So we have to be tracking time of day, location, and what is it that we can adjust the care plan to allow for them to better not have a fall in the future. So when that fall takes place, we have to not only update the care plan, but make sure we're talking to the doctor and talking to the family. And if we're not keeping track in the record that we've done those things, then we're going to get ourselves into a little bit of trouble. It's important for us to be looking at the chart and having set times to go back and just make sure what you think is happening is actually happening. So if you think you have a great uh, care plan coordinator and your care plans are being updated after the falls with specific interventions, just make sure that uh, that's the case. You don't want to find out that that's not happening after a lawsuit gets filed. Another thing that I see with the fall cases is sometimes when we don't know if somebody's hit their head or even if we know somebody's hit their head, that we don't have good documentation of the neuro checks for the next 72 hours. And I've had cases where we send somebody out to the hospital, which is good, but when they come back from the hospital, we don't continue with our checks. So it's really important that we're keeping track of what their fall risk is, that they're getting very specific care plans and that we're making sure when somebody falls that we're doing the appropriate intervention so that we're not missing something significant like a brain bleed. I have a lot of uh, falls with brain bleeds that are tend to be the higher exposure fall cases. And then um, the third area that I could talk for a very long time about, but I won't, that's infection control. So those type of cases, we don't have 
a good assessment on admission of somebody's infection risk. So we can have residents come in on antibiotics. And I really think it can get tricky to figure out what day of antibiotics they're on so that it could be the fourth day, but we don't give antibiotics the right number of days. And I can really see on the MAR that sometimes we're, you know, not starting them right away. It may take us a little bit of time to get the drugs from the pharmacy. So, you know, I think that that's a place where I would like people to shore up their program to show that they're paying attention to the antibiotics, that they're following their policy when the patient comes off the antibiotics to make sure that they're checking to see, you know, how the resident is doing with regard to any signs or symptoms of infection or breakthrough infection. And I have some sepsis cases where the doctor does, you know, the appropriate orders as far as, you know, getting a chest x-ray or getting a urine culture, but then the resident continues to have some signs and symptoms of infection that we after we do those tests that we don't necessarily go back to the doctor and say, okay, but the patient's still having symptoms, you know, it could potentially be sepsis. Obviously, diagnoses are made by doctors and the nurses have to bring the signs and symptoms to the doctor for them to make the diagnosis. So I would say, Amy, those are the main areas where we see our lawsuits and there's plenty that we can do to try to prevent the lawsuits in the first place. That's really good information. And I'm not surprised about the wounds or the falls, but I'm surprised about the infections. And I'm sure our listeners are going to be surprised as well. You've already provided quite a few things our listeners can do to prevent these cases. But do you have other things that people can do to prevent these types of cases from occurring? I think really so much is placed on the actual care being rendered. And of course, that's the most important thing for our residents is that we're giving them the best chance for a good outcome. So I think that the stress on documentation, that's a place where you can audit and really see if people are doing what they're supposed to be doing for documentation, because that's what's going to fall out when we don't have the appropriate staff because people are out with COVID or it's more difficult to get, you know, the right number of CNAs and other staff members are filling in. The thing that's going to fall away is good documentation. Uh, You have to stress with your staff that it's as important the care that they're giving, but they have to take time and make sure that their MARS and their TARS are showing that the care was being rendered on every shift. I don't think I've ever had a case where I look to the MARS and TARS and can see on every shift the appropriate treatment was being given. And it's a click now in the records, it used to be initials, but it's a click and it's it's so important that it gets made because I know the care is being rendered. It's not like a nurse who's been taking care of somebody for many days in a row is not going to give this known treatment, but it frequently causes us trouble when we can't get it into the record. So I would just make sure that 
on admission for my wound cases that you really let the nurses know they can calm down. They don't have to perfectly stage it. They they do need to show us the red or purple discoloration on admission. They may think that's less important than there actually being an open wound, but we know with DTIs that the patient can come in and have some discoloration that all of a sudden opens up into a really bad wound. So if we're missing documenting just a little bruise or discoloration, then we're preventing ourselves from showing that something happened at the hospital. And frequently that can happen where somebody is laying after surgery. They're, they're not as focused in those last days at the hospital about wounds the way that skilled nursing facilities are. So we really have to catch if something happened before they got to us and then show what the extent of that wound was on the way out the door. And then for falls, I would say the biggest problem that I have is that we're just not updating the care plan with each fall. So you really want to make sure that your DON is is looking at what the care plans are and comparing them to the incident reports, making sure on your incident reports that it shows what the new interventions are based on that specific fall. But then a lot of times I see good documentation in the incident reports, but unfortunately we are not making a progress note in the chart. So whatever that document key documentation is about the fall and how it happened and what we're going to do about it needs not only to be on the incident report, but needs to find its way into the progress notes because not everybody is going to look at that incident report and you want to give your staff the best chance to help prevent future falls so that they know what happened and how it happened and to pay particular attention in those cases. And then for the infection control, everybody's asking me, do we really have to keep all of these different forms to show that we were doing good tracking of infections? Can we get rid of these now? Because it's a lot of paper. And I've been telling my clients, absolutely, please do not get rid of it. It's not the same when you somebody testifies that they've been doing it if they don't have the documents to prove that they've been doing the appropriate uh, monitoring and tracking. So I know that it can create paper that people, you know, want to get out of their office, but that's the most important thing if we have contemporaneous documentation of what we're doing that we can show, you know, a few years later when we're down the road and we're trying to piece together what happens because we know that there's a statute of limitations of a couple of years before we're looking back at this care. So people's memory will not be the same as if we were talking to them a week after they were caring for somebody. So the documentation is critical for these cases. Thank you for that information. I want to shift gears a little bit. I want to talk about how this lawsuit impacts the facility. Can you share with our listeners how lawsuits actually impact facilities? I can, Amy, and some of this is going to be obvious and some of this is not going to be obvious. So if we talk about how a facility is insured, which is not something that nurses think about most of the time unless they've been involved with the case. So there can be commercial insurers of a facility or a facility could have a self-insured trust where the money is just going to come out of 
of the uh, money that the facility makes. But in the case of a commercial insurer, the more lawsuits that you have, the more that gets paid in premium. And the more that gets paid in insurance premium, which is looking at, well, what's your loss ratio? Do you have one lawsuit? Do you have 10 lawsuits? The more money that has to get paid out the door for these claims, the less money that's there for the initiatives that really matter to the facility and to the DON. So you want to keep that money inside the facility for staffing, for equipment, for the stuff that's really going to make a difference for care. And the more money that goes out the door for these lawsuits and settling these lawsuits, the less we're going to have for the things that are necessary resources for the care. The other thing that's important to remember is that if there is a case, the amount of time and energy that goes into defending that case, and that's the resource that is limited. We cannot build more hours into the day, and so when a case gets filed, I have to meet with the administrator, I have to meet with the DON, and then I go about doing interviews of the key people. So I don't, you know, do everybody that ever cared for the patient, but if it's a fall case and there's three falls, that means I'm talking to three nurses. CNAs typically are the individuals that find the resident and can describe maybe what happened. So now I'm talking to CNA staff. And we know that those individuals don't stay at one place forever. So it takes time with HR, hunting down the individuals, helping me. We, you know, I get into the DON's phone and go for the gold, you know, of all these different emails or phone numbers so I can try to track people down. So if somebody's talking to me, it means that they're not providing care if it's on the day that you know, I have to talk to them. So it just takes a lot of time and energy. And then these poor individuals, the nurses or the CNAs have to come and give a deposition. Obviously, I'm there with them and I'm trying to make it not as stressful. But I, you know, I do depositions every day. It doesn't stress me out. But people coming to do that for the first time, it's a heart attack. I mean, they're really very nervous about getting questioned about their care, even when their care is appropriate. These are professional question askers. So, you know, they're going to get tripped up, even with me there, having prepped them and getting them ready by looking at the records. It can be a really scary experience. So I think that if staff know that by doing better documentation and by making sure that the care plans getting updated, make sure that their progress notes are complete, that they can avoid having to do that, having to give that deposition and potentially going to trial. Most cases get settled. In a lot of cases, I practice primarily in Chicago. I have some cases in some other jurisdictions, but here, if there's a finding for the family, then there's attorney's fees that get awarded so a lot of these cases are going to end up getting settled, but they get settled after the the depositions are taken. So I would just try to present it to the staff that 
if you do these things, you can avoid that process. You can avoid being somebody that has to be part of litigation. So I think that that money going out the door is not something that is really discussed very much with the staff about, you know, we're doing these things because we want to keep these resources in the building. I appreciate you sharing that. I actually think that people forget a lawsuit also means your choices and your decisions are going to be interrogated by the professional question asker, like you said. So thank you. Is there anything else that you would like to share today with our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I think in my experience, so I've been doing this, Amy, uh, since 1986. So... I have been defending doctors, uh, nurses, nursing homes for a very long time. And it's my experience that the care that's being rendered is very good because these are conscientious people. They got into this because they want to help other people when they're in these times of need. So there's drawn to this field. And I find that the care is very good. And where we get ourselves in trouble is the documentation of that care, because by the time you get to the documentation, it takes a lot of time to get around and get the medications and then go back and and do it a second time. And then the CNA needs to pull you into this room and then a family member wants to talk to you. And the thing that just falls off the table is our documentation. So. I want to defend all these cases and all these nurses because I know that the nurses and CNAs are doing a good job. They're dedicated professionals. But if I don't have the documentation that to show that this thing that is our custom and practice, we always do it this way. If I don't have the documentation to show that it's happened, it puts us in a really difficult position to defend the care. So I would just recommend, again, somebody has to have the job to audit these charts. And you can't just say generally we audit charts without knowing exactly who does it, on what day, and what are they looking at. Because anything that doesn't have a person attached to it and a time attached to it, you know, we generally do these things. Those are the things that don't happen. So you really have to be very specific about whose job it is to make sure that we're doing the things that we need to do so that when these cases get filed and they will get filed, we know that these attorneys are on the radio, they're in billboards, they're you know, it's it, and during daytime TV and between the soap operas, they're just telling everybody, you know, if your elderly 96 year old mother passes away, call us. Well, OK, you know, I don't know the individuals that are just going to live forever. And so we've got a lot of people filing lawsuits because of the motivation for money. And so we want to defend those cases. We want to make sure we're in the best position to say, no, your mother died because she was a failure to thrive or your mother passed away because she got a wound, but the wound was at the end of life. And we can see all these other systems failing and the skin is a large organ and it also failed just like our heart failed with heart failure and her, and her kidney was failing with the end stage renal disease. So we get, 
individuals with a lot of comorbid conditions, we can make good causation arguments that the wounds didn't develop because we weren't turning and repositioning or because we weren't offloading, but the wounds occurred because of the part of their complex, you know, medical condition. So that's what I would really stress for individuals. If I had one takeaway, it'd be to know what's in your chart and to make sure that you're getting it all down, the great care that you're giving. Laura, thank you so much for joining us today. I am sure our listeners are going to love to listen to this podcast because it was full of great information. And to me, I even learned something about the infections and we have lots of infections going on. So I'm sure they're going to be very interested in hearing what you have to say. So thank you. It's my pleasure, Amy. And if people have questions and you end up getting those questions, I work with a number of people in your organization who are top-notch experts for me. And so if there's follow-up questions and people want to talk about other things, please let me know. I, I really take a lot of pride in the individuals that I represent and get to work with. So thanks so much for the opportunity to talk with your membership. Sure, no problem. I hope we can have you back again in the future. All right. Have a great day, everybody. All right, listeners, thank you for joining us today. For more resources and tools for nurse leaders, please visit our website at www.aapacn.org. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the LTC DON Chat Podcast. Heard the news about how you can improve quality care and increase efficiency with ability? Ability offers a range of applications to simplify the complexity of healthcare, allowing organizations of all types and sizes to spend more time on care and less time manually collecting, analyzing, and reporting data. This allows you to remain in compliance while making data-driven decisions that benefit residents. With Ability, your facility can improve resident outcomes, optimize reporting data, enhance reimbursements, and much, much more. Discover what Ability has to offer at AbilityNetwork.com slash a pack-in.